the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Preparing a place for his bride in his father's house. And once that's completed, he's going to come to receive his bride. When does that take place? The rapture. The rapture of the church. That's when Jesus, the bridegroom, comes and he descends out of heaven and he receives his bride to himself and he takes his bride back to heaven, back to his father's house where you have the marriage ceremony that's described here in verse 7. It's mentioned here in verse 7. The marriage of the Lamb. There's something about when a man pursues a lady, making things special for her. It comes to a culmination at a wedding where things have been done or prepared so that his bride will be well taken care of. In today's message, Pastor Dan brings some beautiful things to light as he explains the Jewish traditions and ceremonies that were done when it came to a groom and his bride-to-be. Interestingly, Jesus is doing the same for his bride, the church. He's preparing something special. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Revelation chapter 19 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection, you're going to be part of that great multitude. If you haven't, you're not going to be in heaven. And you don't want to miss this. You're not going to want to miss this celebration. So put your faith in Christ so that you can be there. But you have this great multitude there and they're worshiping and it sounds like, you know, Niagara Falls. And they're saying, hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent Reigns. And so the fourth hallelujah here is for the coming reign of Jesus Christ. The coming reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come again. He will reign over the earth forever and ever, the Bible tells us. He will be King of kings and Lord of lords, and He will have a righteous kingdom. And God's people in heaven are saying, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that Jesus Christ is coming again, right? Praise the Lord that he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So those in heaven are rejoicing because he's coming again. And so there's this celebration that takes place in heaven before Jesus Christ returns. And then now in verse 7, we come to the ceremony. So we had the celebration. Now we have the ceremony that takes place in heaven just before Jesus Christ returns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And here we have the marriage of the lamb in heaven. Maybe you've heard that term before. 
the marriage of the Lamb. It occurs just before Jesus Christ returns to the earth. Uh, The Lamb, of course, is Jesus himself. He's described over 30 times as the Lamb in the book of Revelation. The bride or the wife is the church, right? The New Testament, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 11, I'm sorry. And so you have this, this marriage of the Lamb between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And to fully understand what is involved in this, this marriage, the marriage of the land, Lamb, we need to understand uh, what was involved in a Jewish wedding in that day, in that context. Uh, Because what is described here, the details fit into the details of a Jewish wedding in those days. Uh, A a, a wedding in those days, a Jewish wedding, uh, it was quite different from weddings today. Uh, Weddings today uh, are are all about the bride, right? The focus is on the bride. It's, It's the bride's day for the most part. Uh, brides today, most of them spend their whole life planning their wedding and thinking about their wedding. When they're a little girl and they're playing, they're thinking about their wedding. And they're thinking about what they want it to look like and what they want their dress to look like and what they want the decorations to be and what their bridesmaids are going to wear and what music will be played there. And, and, and the bride thinks about her wedding, her whole life leading up to her wedding day. And the day is the bride's day in our culture. Right? The groom, he's just got to rent his tuxedo and show up on time. And that's about it for the groom, right? Like that's all he really has to do for the most part. Everything else is about the bride. Well, in those days, in a Jewish wedding, it was all about the groom. It was the groom's big day. The wedding was all about the groom, not the bride. Uh, In a Jewish wedding in that day uh, involved four distinct steps. Four distinct steps that I want to go through with you. First of all, the first step was that the father of the groom arranged the marriage. They had arranged marriages. And the father of the groom arranged the marriage for his son. And being a dad of three boys, I think we should go back to that. It doesn't sound, you know, it sounds like a good idea to me. I won't say anything else. <laughs> but the father of the groom arranged the marriage. He would go and, you know, meet with the father of the bride and make an arrangement for his son and, and the other dad's daughter. And he would pay a, a, a bride price. He would pay a dowry to the other father. Uh, You see an example of this in Genesis 24 when Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a bride for his son, Isaac. Remember, uh, Eliezer finds Rebekah and brings Rebekah back. And so there the father, Abraham, arranges the marriage for his son and pays a bride price, pays a dowry for it. Sometimes the arrangements were made when the the groom and the bride were small children. Uh, Sometimes the groom and the bride didn't know each other. Uh, occasionally they didn't meet until the time of their wedding. And that was the first that they, they met. So that was the first step in a Jewish wedding. The second step happened about a year before the wedding. The groom would begin to build an addition on his father's house 
because once he's married, his wife would come to live with him in his father's house. And so about a year before the wedding, the groom would begin adding an addition on his dad's house for he and his wife to live. Uh, And we're not talking about like living there for the first six months or for the first year or until you get out of college. Like you lived there with your groom, with the husband's family forever, you know, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Right. So, ladies, I want you to think about that. (laughs) You know, and in that culture, when you got married, you went to live with your husband's family. You moved into his house with his family. Today, when you go to the Middle East and some places in the Middle East, they still practice this. Again, in Israel, you'll see in Arab towns, you'll see houses where the first floor is built out and someone is living in the first floor, but then there's a second story or, or two or three stories that are just kind of roughed in. And the, you know, there's no walls, there's no windows. It's just all kind of roughed in. And the reason they do that is that father has sons. And so when he built his house, he went ahead and built a second story or a third story for the number of sons that he has so that when the day comes that his sons get married, you know, he's already got the studs there and it's wired in and he can just finish it out uh, for his son to bring his wife to come live with the family. So in that culture, you would, the, the wife would come and live with the groom and his parents and his family in his house. That's why, listen, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, there it, its instructions are given to the husband, to the man, but not to the woman, to the man. The man is instructed to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh with his wife. But that instruction is not given to the wife. Why not? Because the wife has already left her father and mother and moved in with the husband into his home. She's already left and cleft. The husband is still living at home with his parents. And so the Lord says to the husband, essentially, even though you're still physically living with your parents, you need to leave your parents and cleave to your wife and become one with her. And not, you know, even though you're still in the same home with your parents. So, He would build this addition on his house. And then once it was finished, his father would tell him to go and fetch his bride and bring his bride to her new home with his family. And you see pictures of that in the Gospels with the parable that Jesus told of the ten virgins. And the groom comes in the middle of the night and the virgins are all asleep. Remember that story? That's a picture here of of what's described in a Jewish wedding. That leads to the third step. The actual wedding ceremony. The wedding ceremony took place at the groom's house. Uh, It was usually uh, just a small number of people that were invited, just close family uh, that were invited. Uh, Prior to the wedding ceremony, the bride would have um, would go through like this ceremonial bath, this ritual purification and cleansing to prepare her for for her wedding and for marriage. Uh, And then after the wedding ceremony came the fourth and final step which was the marriage feast or the reception is what we call it today, the wedding reception. And the wedding reception was a big event, a big banquet. And many, many guests were invited to the wedding reception. And the wedding reception, it could last several days. It could last several weeks, uh, depending on how wealthy the family was. Uh, In John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding feast. He's at a wedding reception when they run out of wine. 
right? Remember that story, his first miracle at Cana? We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. And so here you have the marriage of the Lamb, and the marriage of the Lamb in Revelation 19, it includes all four of the steps of a traditional Jewish wedding. First of all, the father arranged for his son's wedding. He made arrangements for his son. God sent the Holy Spirit into the world to find a bride for his son. And the father paid the bride price, the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb was the price that he paid to purchase the bride. You know, the Bible says we've all been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And right now, Jesus is doing what? He's in heaven preparing a place for his bride. Remember John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3? In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for his bride in his Father's house. And once that's completed, he's going to come to receive his bride. When does that take place? The rapture. The rapture of the church. That's when Jesus, the bridegroom, comes and he descends out of heaven and he receives his bride to himself and he takes his bride back to heaven, back to his father's house, where you have the marriage ceremony that's described here in verse 7. That's mentioned here in verse 7. The marriage of the Lamb. But before that marriage can take place, the bride has to prepare herself It says at the end of verse 7 that she made herself ready. And look at verse 8. And to her, the bride, which is the church, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so at the marriage ceremony, verse 8 is telling us at the marriage ceremony, we will be arrayed and the righteous acts which we have done for Jesus Christ. That's going to be your wedding dress, so to speak. Our righteous acts that we've done for Jesus Christ. Now, don't don't be confused here. The bride is the bride because of the righteousness of Jesus. The bride is the bride because of the righteousness of Jesus. But the bride is clothed with her own righteousness at the marriage. With her righteous deeds that she's done for Christ. So my question for you is what righteous deeds are you doing for Christ? What will you be arrayed in on that day when you're at the marriage of the Lamb in heaven? What works have you done for Christ? To prepare yourself for this marriage ceremony. And after the marriage ceremony, 
came the reception, came the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's mentioned in verse 9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So you've got the marriage ceremony in heaven, and then that's followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the reception. Now, some commentators believe the supper of the Lamb will also take place in heaven. Other commentators believe that the supper of the Lamb takes place after Jesus Christ to re- returns to the earth with his bride. And then that is when the reception takes place. Some commentators even believe it's going to last for the whole thousand years uh, of his reign on the earth, which I think would be great uh, if we have a thousand year long reception, wedding reception. That would be wonderful if that's true. I don't know. But you've got the marriage ceremony and then you've got the marriage supper, the celebration, the reception afterwards. And then in verse 10 John now, as he sees this and the angel, remember this is an angel speaking back in verse 1. It was, the, uh, it was an angel telling him all these things. And, and John now, he, he sees all of this and he's overwhelmed by what he sees. And in verse 10 it says, he, he fell at his feet to worship him, this angel. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. <laughs> I am your fellow servant And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here, you know, John's just so overwhelmed by this. He he just falls down before this angel. He begins to worship the angel. And the angel says, see that you don't do that. And in your Bible, that phrase, see that you don't do that. uh, It's probably in italics. And the reason it's in italics is because the, the uh, translators that translated it into English, um, they added these words in to try to clarify what the passage is saying. But those words don't actually appear in the original text. That's why they put it in italics. So that you know that, hey, this is just something that they've added to try to clarify the passage. But it doesn't really, that phrase isn't really in the original text. The original Greek text is just two words here. Uh, it's, it's a four-letter word and then a two-letter word. It's a, it's a total of just six, six letters, this whole phrase here. Uh, so this angel, this angel doesn't really say, you know, see that you don't do that. You know, it's not like this angel, hey, don't, don't do that, please, you know, kind of thing. No, it's two short words. You know, John falls down and begins to worship the angel, and the angel says, stop it! Don't! Quit! Don't do that. It's more like that. Not see that you don't do that, please. You know, don't. He says, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a servant just like you and your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Aren't you glad you have the testimony of Jesus in your life? Man, it's the testimony of his grace. And this angel here says, hey, I'm just a fellow servant like you and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus in their life. And then he says, Worship God. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He he says, worship God. You know, in in the New Testament, you have someone falling down before an angel here and trying to worship the angel. And the angel says, don't do that. Stop. 
Worship God. Uh, you have in the book of Acts where um, Paul and Barnabas are on a mission trip and the people in this town think that Paul and Barnabas are these, these Roman gods that have come down and they begin to, you know, they bring, a, they bring a bull and they're going to sacrifice a bull and begin to worship Paul and Barnabas and Paul rents his clothing. You know, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. And then you have in Luke chapter five. Where Peter falls down before Jesus at his feet. And Jesus doesn't stop him. And then you have after the resurrection where Thomas falls down and it says he worshiped Jesus Christ. Falls down before Jesus before him and worships him and Jesus doesn't stop him. And we're supposed to worship God. And when an angel's worship, the angel, I oh, don't don't do that. When Paul or Barnabas, when they're worshiped, don't do that. But when Jesus is worshiped. He doesn't stop them because Jesus was fully aware that he was God. He was God in the flesh, God incarnate. And so he received their adoration. He, re- he allowed himself to be worshiped as God because Jesus is God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? That means all of Scripture speaks of Jesus. All of Scripture testifies of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. All of it is about Jesus It's telling the story of this coming savior who would come to rescue mankind. All you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter three with the fall of Adam. And there's this just this storyline that goes all the way through the book. And it's all about Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the religious leaders in his day, you search the scriptures for in them. You think you have life, but these are they that testify of me. The whole volume of the book is about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins, his burial, his resurrection, his second coming, his future kingdom on the earth where he will reign in righteousness. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover. So one day there's going to be this great, big royal wedding in heaven. And we get so excited about royal weddings down here, don't we? They don't happen very often, but we get excited about them. People get up early to watch them on television because they're on in the middle of the night here, you know, and we're and it's and it's, you know, it's it's not even for the king. It's, it's for like just somebody in the royal family. But we get so excited about it. Listen, there's coming a royal wedding that is the royal wedding of royal weddings. One day in heaven, there's going to be the marriage of the lamb, the king of kings. And and here's the thing. God has invited all of us to the marriage of the Lamb. All of us. And the invitation that he gives us is the gospel. It's available to everyone. Jesus said, whosoever will may come. That means we're all invited to it. And he gives out this invitation for everybody. He wants everybody to be at this marriage of the Lamb. He wants everybody to be at this wedding celebration in heaven. And so he invites everyone. But to, to go, to attend, you've got to accept the invitation. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal.
Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. As you listen through this series, we encourage you to read on your own as well. There's so much to gain from spending time with God in His Word. You'd be amazed at what can be revealed to you in a personal way. Did you hear something today and wish you could hear it again for it to fully sink in? Well, we have just the thing. All of our messages you hear on Ring of Truth can be found on our website. Go to calvaryec.com and search for These Teachings under the Media tab. While you're there, you'll likely find and explore other series or teachings that you'll find interesting. Are you growing through this study in Revelation? We sure hope so. Another resource you might find useful is our podcast. You can subscribe to the Ring of Truth podcast as another way to stay connected to the teaching of Scripture. We'll notify you each time we upload a new episode. You'll find a link to subscribe to our podcast on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also search for Ring of Truth in iTunes. If you're interested in learning more about the church that supports this radio ministry, our website has all the information you need about Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Come join us this weekend for worship and Bible study. Once again, that's calvaryec.com. Thanks for listening to Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.